0: the expression of Yom Kippur primarily comes up or most clearly comes up is in the Musaf service of Yom Kippur the Musaf service of Yom Kippur has three main pieces three main components to it and those are the main components of Yom Kippur one is that in the Musaf service of Yom I'm talking about the traditional now some of this is not recited even in the most traditional congregations that's a different conversation how did this happen but there are three basic pieces to the Yom Kippur service One of them is the confessional, um, the the confessions. There are different confessions, and um, the short confession, the long confession, those uh, form a part of every single of the uh, the Yom Kippur service. There are five services in Yom Kippur, if we have a chance this morning, discuss that a bit. And each of the services contains with it a confession, long, short, etc., Talking, I'm focusing mostly on the, on the Ashkenazic right but the Sephardic rite is not different in this respect there's also a confession the confession is related to the idea the central idea of Yom Kippur which is, which is repentance and, and, and forgiveness and cleansing that's the basic idea of Yom Kippur it was very striking for example to take note of the fact that on Rosh Hashanah the first of the high holidays we have none of that there's no, there's no confessions on Rosh Hashanah at all, which, which means that Rosh Hashanah is not essentially a day of a day of a day of repentance. It, 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 repentance comes into Rosh Hashanah through the back door in a different way, but fundamentally Rosh Hashanah is not a day of repentance. Were it a day of repentance, it would be reflected in the classical moxa, in the sitter. It's not, so there are no confessions. That's number one. That's one piece of the the Yom Kippur service. The second piece of the Yom Kippur service, which classically is in every single of the five services, but strangely has been eliminated essentially from three of the five in most synagogues. I'm talking about traditional synagogues, um, modern orthodox synagogues, whatever you want to call it. I presume everything to the left has basically been eliminated and that is what's called the penitential prayers or known in Hebrew as the uh, srikot. the srikot are part and parcel essential part of every single service on, on, on Yom Kippur it's very important to understand this it will come up later and what is curious is that the Jewish people have a tradition of reciting before Yom Kippur and there are two traditions the Ashkenazim start with the Saturday night before Rosh Hashanah The Sephardim start with Rosh Chodesh Elul. They say Slichot all the month of Elul. Very long Slichot Erev Rosh Hashanah. Very long Slichot Sam Gedaliah. Very long Slichot the Thursday before Yom Kippur this year. But on Yom Kippur itself, which is the real tradition, in most synagogues Slichot have been eliminated except in two situations, two of the prayers. One is the the night of Yom Kippur, called Nidre Night where we say maybe we'll see this later and the second is in the in the last in the concluding prayer of Yom Kippur there we have now first of all what are maybe we'll get to it later Srichot consists at its core at its core of the recitation of what is known as the Yud Gimel Midot the attributes of God's mercy that's those are found in the Bible in the Torah in the story of the golden calf The golden calf story is the story that stands behind Yom Kippur. It's very important to understand this. The prayer service of Yom Kippur, the slichot are the main prayers of Yom Kippur, and they they come from the story of the golden calf. It's Moses' intercession with God after the golden calf to ask God to dwell amongst us, to repair the relationship, and to allow the temple to be built, the tabernacle to be built, because the tabernacle can't be built because Moses breaks the tablets. Once Moses breaks the tablets it's impossible to build a tabernacle. Because the tablets unlike anything else in the, in the Mishkan were made by God. Everything else in the Mishkan is, ma- is, is, is made by a human being by the, the artisans the workers etc. the volunteers but the tablets were made by God. The writing was the writing of God says the Torah the tablets were the tablets of God. When Mo- Moses breaks them no no tablets no tablets you're missing the basic ingredient of the Mishkan. The basic vessel of the Mishkan was the Ark, which houses the tablets for which God speaks. So, with Moses breaking the tablets is of immense significance. There's a great finality to it. Unless God grants us another ta- set of tablets, we will have no uh, we will have no, no 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 place of God's indwelling. So, Moses is praying for God to allow God to dwell amongst the people and to um, and and in order to do that we need a second set of tablets. God is not so interested in giving us a second set of tablets after the golden calf. So Moses trying to reconcile God with the people. He does so ultimately after a long negotiation, which is very interesting, he does so when God teaches Moses the attributes of God's mercy. Hashem Hashem Kel Rachum chesed v'emet should know in that tradition as the 13 attributes of God's mercy. We have two problems with that. One is they don't seem to be 13, and two, they don't all seem to be about, be about God's mercy, but okay, that's a, that's a separate Shia about that. But in any event, we call them the attributes of God's mercy. They are very central. They also played a central role in Maimonides' Guide for the Perplexed. That was a long discussion about this because God seems to be telling Moses something about God, which the Rambam claims you can't Because God is the unknowable so what does it mean attributes of God? God has no attributes. Anyway, that's not our point either now but what is the point is that on Yom Kippur in the classical Mosque now, if anybody has an interest in seeing a real traditional service where where would you go to see a traditional service? Actually, the service that I run in Yom Kippur is pretty traditional because we say slichot but if you want to go to the real tradition right, there are two places to go. One is you can go up to Washington Heights if you want to do this, if you can get in and go to Broyers, because there you will find a traditional service. One thing about the German Jews is not to say bad things; it's also a good thing. I would say imagination generally, when it comes to prayer, is not their strong suit. <laughs> their strong suit is keeping the tradition, and that's very important. Because when you go there, you see what was actually done 500 years ago, 700 years ago, and they, of course because they have a truly authentic traditional classical service they say they slichot say in all of the prayers. they say everything but they say the slichot in all of the services now where you say these slichot we'll get to later but they are recited in each of the five services not just at night not just in the but they say slichot in shacharit mincha and musaf and where is very interesting maybe I'll come back to this that's the second basic Piece of the Yom Kippur service; those two apply in every all five services. do and Slichah through all five services. And this, in the Musaf of Yom Kippur, there's an additional interesting element in the classical service of Yom Kippur called the uh, the uh, Avoda. The Avoda, very unusual, is a reenactment of the service of the High Priest on on Yom Kippur. I say High Priest because according to the Mishnah. Point to the Mishnah part of the main parts of the service temple service of Yom Kippur is performed only by the high priest not by anybody else how much of it is performed necessarily by the high priest or not is a subsequently tremendous dispute among the commentaries on the Talmud big fight but in any event everybody agrees that the core pieces of Yom Kippur are to be performed by the high priest what makes the service of the high priest very interesting and that would be another spoke about this a couple of years ago is that on Yom Kippur you have the following you have the the first question was where does Yom Kippur appear in the in the in the Torah well it appears in the Torah in chapter 16 of Ayikra it appears but name? what? but not with that appellation of Yom Kippur, no no not with the name Yom Kippur not with the name Yom Kippur in, but on the 10th of Tishrei That's correct. But on the 10th of Tishrei, we'll call it for our purposes Yom Kippur, at the end of that, that's actually an important point, but the end of that long chapter, uh, it says on the 10th day of the month, so it sounds like the service that's described takes place on, this is specific to the 10th day of the month. But Yom Kippur also appears later in the Torah, when the Torah give the list of the additional sacrifices that are brought on festivals in the book of Bamidbar, Yom Kippur appears there as well on the 10th of the month and that's a different sacrifice and then of course the temple had a daily service there's a daily service in the temple 365 days a year or whatever so on Yom Kippur what's interesting is how do you juggle the three things you have to have the daily service you have the very complex service of Ayikra of chapter 16 and you have the Musaf how, how do you juggle these three things that Topic is discussed by the Mishnah that's the main topic of the Mishnah in the first seven chapters of tractate Yoma and is known in our tradition as, that's why it's known as Seder Avoda Yoma Kippurim or Seder Avoda the order of the service because the Mishnah and the rabbinic tradition is wrestling with this idea of what is the order when it comes to the sacrifices the order is very important derivatively our prayers, which in some sense are connected to sacrifices, the vehicle for our prayers we call the uh, Sidur. It's the same idea that prayer, for whatever reason, is a parallel to the sacrificial service, and it's it's a kind of ordered event. Now, so the Avoda is, of course, the reenactment. Now, this is unusual for us. In our tradition, we are hard-pressed to think of too many uh, examples in our classical prayer service where we, have, where we are reenacting something. I really can think of, I mean, one could say that reading the Torah is a reenactment. That the reading of the Torah, according to some views, is essentially a reenactment of receiving the Torah. That part, I think, that, that certainly is, is, is a great truth to that. In terms of the actual prayer service, you're hard-pressed to think of too many other examples. I can think of one. One other example in our prayer service will we actually reenact something? What and that you is know, what? Reconconium no. is an excellent point, actually. I'm not sure that's a reenactment or that's a, that, it, that in, it, in and of itself is a... That's a good question. Is it? Are we reenacting what happened in the temple? Or are we actually have a separate directive that the priests are blessing the community outside of the temple? That's a, that's a good question. Um, that might be the difference between the two customs of blessing. The strange custom is, which has no good reason for it. To be, I mean, it has a reason. I don't know the reason. I've never seen the. Re- I mean, I said whatever. Point is, if you go to a Sephardic synagogue, you will see that they, the Kohanim bless the people every single day of the year. Which, of course, from the text, is the correct thing to do. The Ashkenazim do not do this. The Birkat Kohanim for the Ashkenazim is only on the holidays. And Israel Israel's every day, of course. Israel's every day, which is correct. The problem is not Israel. The problem is why, do, why don't we do it? It's a commandment every day. To, what, what, what's going on? That's the big question. So that could be the question. If those who bless every day understand that there's a directive to priest to bless every day of okay, any mitzvah. The Jews in exile outside of the Sephardim, the Ashkenazim who don't do so probably is stemming from the idea that since fundamentally it is a temple ritual, makes no sense outside Israel, we don't want to lose it all together so we bless all we have the festivals. That's what I suggest. In any event, these are the three key pieces of Yom Kippur. The Avoda, which is reenacting the service of the high priest, the Selichot service, and the, and the vidui. Now the question is, yes? You would ask when else we like, so Yeah, right. Rabba, that, that's what I had in mind. Oshana Rabbah is the is way I was looking for. The other example of a reenactment would be Oshana Rabba. We march seven times around. We are simulating what they did. That's thank you. We are simulating what they did in the uh, in the temple. Oshana Rabbah essentially the it's going around the altar. It's going around being surveyed with the mizbeach. So so on Oshana Rabbah, we are simulating or reenacting. It's a reenactment. but for the most part in our prayer services, we're not reenacting. So the Avoda is interesting and different in that way. And what's curious is the order of these three things. The Avoda, the vidui, and the Slichot. Those are the three core pieces of Yom Kippur. Um, on Rosh Hashanah, of course, there's no Avoda, but there's no Slichot either. Even though we start saying Slichot before Rosh Hashanah. And the longest of a slichot to Rosh Hashanah. And the second long of to the day after Rosh Hashanah. But on Rosh Hashanah itself, there's no slichot. In the Ashkenazic rite. In the old days, there was slichot. Look at the Gaonim; They said slichot on Rosh Hashanah. But, but, but we, have, we don't have slichot. And we have no vidui. Because so, Yosh Hashanah is not about Shubha. That's what you see. It's something else. But Yom Kippur is... Now what is the order of those three, actually? What is... What, how does it work? What do we say first? I mean, we, from, I'll guarantee you, most people in this room don't say in, in, in Yom Kippur, in Musaf, don't say Srikot altogether, because 99% of the synagogues don't say them. But for those who do say them, or those who have studied it, what is the order? So let me see. I have before me a, some that I was handed. I know which one it is. Uh, this might actually have these Srikot. It could be. Yes. What do you know? This one, the Brown Holiday Prayer Book, actually has slichot. Believe it or not, for those who have this particular machzor, on page one hundred and sixty-nine, one hundred and sixty-nine slichot with filat musaf. Unbelievable. Only in this machzor, this one slichot with filat musaf. And it follows. What does it follow? You have it too. See, yeah, it's the same one. It's the same matter, right? It's the same one. In this, it, this is one sixty-nine. In the Adler, in the Adler, it follows. It follows the Avodah. Here's how it works. It follows. It's actually a very important point about Yom Kippur. First, we reenact the service of the high priest. Then we say. After we say how glorious it was, Mary Cohen, how beautiful it was when the priest went in. And there's a description uh, of the service of the high, poetic description of the service of the high priest. There are many different avodot. There are many different renditions of the avoda, which are, which are ancient. The earliest ones go back maybe to the 4th century, maybe before the 4th century. They're extremely interesting what they are. And afterwards, after we finish with Marikoe, often it's sung, then we say then we have a turning point we say all this was so when we had a temple but we don't have a temple anymore our sins destroyed it and our present sins continue its inability to be rebuilt that's what we say in the Musaf. so the temple represents for us the idea of God's presence but we have no temple that means God is not present that leads us into slichot. we say in this boxer it's on 168 through the iniquities of our fathers the temple is in ruins our sins have prolonged the period of its desolation may our remembrance of these things bring forgiveness and with the last paragraph what can we say how can we clear ourselves what shall we answer from whom is the utterance of speech God has bestowed good upon us we have rendered evil what right therefore have we left that we should cry unto the king what right do we have means we're about to cry unto the king and that's Slichot the next word is the beginning introduction to, to the Slichot service so it's very interesting actually the Musav is very interesting how does it the Musav starts with the Avodah Avodah leads into Slichot now why does the Avodah lead into Slichot actually by why, I mean, what is its, at the core, what is that about? I know most people who don't say the Srechot and Musaf. I'll, I'll get to that later on, but it doesn't matter. The point is, the idea is very important. Because what, is, what precipitated Moses, begging God for reconciliation, what precipitated God teaching Moses the attributes of God's mercy? What event was it? The answer was the golden calf. The golden calf. So what happens after the golden calf? what does God say to Moses? Moses is begging God after the golden calf. I'm going to make you into a nation. That's the first. That's right. That's what God says first to Moses. Moses says, "No, thank you. No, you can't do that." Says Moses. You made a promise to them. Okay, fine. Then God said. Then God. Moses goes down. He breaks the tablets. He says, "God, please." The people are crying. The people are mourning. God said to Moses, Exodus chapter 33. Take this people that you took out of Egypt. The Tanakh. Don't trust me. Look it up. Chapter 33. Take the people, the people you took out of Egypt, and bring them into the holy land. The land of milk and honey. That's what God said. And I will send before you my angel. And the angel will drive out the inhabitants of the land. But I will not go with you. I won't go in your presence. For you are a stiff-necked people lest I destroy you on the way. So what God says to Moses is, look, you can have the land, you can have my best angel, you drive them out, milk and honey. The only problem is, I can't go with you, because if I go with you, I'm going to fight. And the first time we fight, I'm going to destroy the people, because they're very stubborn. So it's better this way, go without me, but, I'm all the, but all the promises, I'm going to keep my promises, just to my angel, but I won't go with you. What is the next verse in the Torah? When the people heard this bad news, they mourned. And they took off their jewelry. What is the bad news? That God won't go with them. What does it mean in practical terms, God won't go with them? What is God saying to Moses, I won't go with you? What does that mean practically speaking? Well, it does mean, well, God shall said? my angels to protect. They have protection. No Mishkan, to words. The Mishkan can't be built. Moses breaks the tablets, the Mishkan can't be built. God says to Moses there will be no mishkan there will be no temple why not? because we can't be together what's the point of a temple? We'll fight there's no point but then Moses doesn't give up people were crying the people were mourning took off their jewelry then Moses starts to be the reconciler between God and the people and that process ends with Hashem Hashem Kel-Rachum V'chanun yes please God does not trust himself to go in with Moses no God doesn't trust does. the people God doesn't trust the people. God says, doesn't mean so. I'm going to lose my temper. I don't think you have to see it that way. It's more like, I lose my temper, but they're going to deserve it. They're not going to mend their ways. I mean, your point is well taken. Let me, let me respond to your point differently in a minute. I'll respond to that point. But, so the point is, it's the not building up, what, 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 what are the people mourning? The mourning the fact that the temple will not be built. Right? That's, that's, that's what it says. Mishkan. That is exactly the way the Shicholah is structured in the Musaf. It starts with the Avodah. We are reenacting the Temple. It's more than reenacting the... It's more than reenacting. It's actually... I would frame it differently. It's that one way to understand prayer is to enter into the mythical world. You enter. It's a. a, You enter into the mythical world where whether you want the temple to be built or not. Personally, I could do without it. (laughs) Let me tell you that. But not when you're praying. When you're praying, it's not just a metaphor. It's a metaphor. You enter into a world where you actually are praying for the temple, and that temple is destroyed, and it's not being rebuilt. You're actually living in that. It's real, and then you say, "But." just as Moses did when, when the, God says I won't be with you which means the temple won't be built so we say in our Yom Kippus Musaf we say but our sins have prolonged the, the destruction of the temple so as Moses did in that space what Moses did was Moses prayed to God and God responded Hashem Hashem Kerachum V'chanun with the attributes of God's mercy which we call Srichot and that's exactly how it works in the uh In the uh, service of Yom Kippur, the slichot of Musaf are following the destruction of the Temple. Just as in the Torah, the slichot of Moses, Hashem Hashem Kerachum, God's response, which becomes a formula that we use throughout Yom Kippur, was a response to the people's crying. Not that that they'll be fine; they have milk and honey, have a land, drive out the enemies. But I will not go with you. And that that's where Moses enters with the request, and that's where God. Responds with Hashem Hashem, Kelrachim Vachanon. What is interesting is, I'll I'll respond differently to your comment. This is an important comment. And that is, one way to understand Moses, the negotiator, Moses is negotiating. He's the broker between God and the people. The people are crying. And God, it would appear in the Torah, if you read it carefully, wants to dwell amongst amongst the people. The Torah represents it as God can't find a way. Because God said to Moses, keep the jewelry off and let me, let me consider what to do. Moses hears this, Moses says, God actually wants to reconcile, but God, as it were, can't figure out how. Moses then enters into the picture, and in, in my understanding of the text, uh, what Moses does as a reconciler, as an arbitrator reconciler, what Moses is actually doing, in order to get a good reconciliation, everybody has to make a concession, People believe reconciliation is free, they've always wronged. Sometimes they are wronged, but basically everybody has to give something. They don't want to give. What the people are doing is mourning, the people have to make an, a new commitment to God. That's what it says in the Torah, without getting into it now. But I believe God will make some God makes a major concession, which allows God to dwell amongst the people, and that is that the God who dwells amongst the people through this temple is not the full God. God in God's fullness cannot dwell amongst the people. But as we say in our prayers and elsewhere, God's seal is actually truth. God's fundamental nature, we say in Rosh Hashanah, use your mercies to overcome your nature. Abraham overcame his his nature of kindness and to do your will. So too, God, you also should overcome your basic nature. What is God's basic nature? Truth. Emes. God's seal is Truth. Mercy is not God's basic nature. God employs mercies. Fundamental nature is is, is integrity and honesty. It's God's basic nature. So we want God to overcome God's basic nature. So what Moses says to God is, you're right. If you dwell in the tabernacle as the God of truth, then, and that's your major uh, attribute, you're right. Then, of course, nobody can survive. As we say at the beginning of the Chumash, God thought to build the world, the world on truth. God thought, it can't, it can't be. Because people are not truthful. And therefore, we're not wholly truthful. Therefore, it can't work. So therefore, the God who dwells amongst us must be the God of great mercies. Hashem, Hashem, Kerachum, V'chanan. That's Yidgimu It's God, God, God concedes. It's a concession on God's part to, 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 to limit God's being in order to dwell in this world that's Hashem Hashem Kerachum Vachanu that's God's name that is there in the temple Rosumet Shemisha the shame the name that God Moses always wanted to know God's name first question what is your name? God's in the book of Exodus at the end of the day God's name is Hashem Hashem Rachum Vachanu that's God's name so God did extract God did have to make a concession that's what I would say to your point because God might it's not about losing temper it's about truth because in truth they are sinners Human beings are, are, are limited. So therefore, in order for God to dwell amongst us, God must limit God, as it were. And then after we get to the slichot service on Musaf, then very interestingly, we have the vidui. The confession comes after the slichot. It's very interesting. The order, we would have done it the other way around. First you confess your sins, then you ask for forgiveness. We don't do that. We actually first ask for forgiveness. Only afterwards do we confess our sins. Yes, you want to add to that? So in order for humanity to survive, God gives us leeway? Yes, I would say that's, that's accurate. God is a... Without the mercies, you can't actually live. I wouldn't say that's... I, I don't think it's only true of God. It's true of human beings as well. If, if we are exacting on everything, of course, we're typically exacting on everything vis-a-vis the other person. we less exacting vis-a-vis ourselves. But uh, in any event... I don't think think any relationship can exist only on truth. I don't think that 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 can work. Not that people should not be truthful. People should be truthful, and institutions should have integrity. Of course, that's so. But at the end of the day, everybody we are imperfect beings, and we recognize that. And therefore, we have to allow for the failures of others. Have to be less judgmental of others. I think that's clear. And, yeah, I think the world exists only through the kindnesses that people do. I don't think the world can exist with truth alone, which is essentially what the Medrash says in the beginning of the Chumash. God thought to build a world of truth. That world, in the way we are living here, can't possibly exist. In any event, the order of Musaf, whether we say the Srichot or not, is that Avoda Srichot, and only afterwards, only after we are requesting forgiveness but one might say, only after we are relying upon the fact that God is a forgiving God, because we are repeating in the slichot service, it's always the same service, which is the key is the yudim umidot, and if we interpose various requests. We make a request of pu, with some kind of poem, followed by Hashem Hashem Yes, Suri. I think we have a similar thing actually in the daily Torah when we say Perhaps maybe. That's a good point. Yeah, That is a very good point. But there, Slach is very similar to Sri There's I mean, is, I mean, but it's a good question. I don't think it's identical, but yes, but it, there's a request that God restore us before we even mention what we've done wrong. I think it's even more pointed in the, in the order of Yom Kippur in terms of the Vidui, which comes after this, always. It's always that way. The Vidui always comes at the end. Of the, uh, of the of the of service. What is curious, beyond belief curious, is this: that the slichot service, of course, have their own integrity. In other words, there's a custom, ancient custom, of the Jewish people to say slichot by themselves, standalone piece, before the morning prayers. On the first night, there's a custom to start at midnight, actually, the say menucha. But it, typically Selichot are recited before the morning prayers. Yashmoret HaBokeh before the morning prayers. And uh, they have a structure. But the typical Selichot when you recite them alone first you say is Ashrei Betecha then the Chazan says Chatzik Kaddish, then there's a long paragraph which is modeled if you look at it you'll see it's modeled on the language of the first three blessings of the Shmona Esrei then you have re- some kind of request for forgiveness etc which is modeled on the intermediate part of the Shemona Esrei which is all about Bakasha various requests and it ends with the last request is Shema or from the Ark is open Shema Koleinu is the end of the request part of the Shlichot service and afterwards there is a concluding part there is a vidui and the full Kaddish and that and it's exactly based on the short answer. This was not my invention. I, I didn't make this up, by the way. This was noted by many people before me. But it's obvious. Well, you see it, it's obvious. Of course, it's obviously the case. So shvach kolenu is actually the end of the request part of the slichot. What do most synagogues that have a traditional service do? They skip the slichot. They don't say slichot but then they say a paragraph and they say but you many many most of the people here perhaps are in a synagogue where they jump to followed by it makes to say it makes no sense would be I mean it's crazy how can you say saying everything we've requested till now God please hear our, hear our voices but you haven't requested anything I mean the whole would have been taken out how did this happen so that's what Goldschmidt discusses in his critical master Goldschmidt Daniel Goldschmidt discusses this of course he cried he doesn't like it obviously but the point is it's very interesting how these things happen because it actually makes zero sense on any level and Goldschmidt has two theories about it which doesn't explain why it actually is still maintained by most congregations to this day one theory he has for some reason they chopped out the the slichot from three of the five services why? so one theory he has is it comes together with the advent of the of the paid (laughs) chazan the the chazanim don't like slichot they like uh, Nisanatoket you know Kelorachdin you know the the ten martyrs that's a you know I'm here, Rabbi Shmuel, I, I, I like it too. But the point is, so that didn't leave much time for the srichot, which are there's no real great, you know there's no great aria for the srichot. You know, let's put it that way. So it got chopped. That, that's that's but it's one of his theories. The other theory he has is the following: he says that in Europe, Hashem, Hashem, Kirachav Echad, understand standard But the various, there were hundreds of different poems written which precede the we give and And most congregations, he said, or many anyway, in Europe, did not say the same request every single year. They had different things they would say. In different communities, at had different... So it became too too costly to print in the Siddur, the, the Srichot. And it's true, if you look at some of the, if you study strangely, if you look at some of the Maszorim, you will see. Most of them don't have Srichot. This, editor has it. Agner has Slichot maybe it's his Germanic background I well, not that he actually does he includes it you know but you'll see some Sidurim some machzorim, when it comes time to say Slichot they don't have them in the book but they say Kano Mim at this point you say Slichot in our service we are distributing the Slichot but the point is Kano Mim Slichot because it wasn't the same Slichot every single year every year they would they would vary it they would change the Slichot so maybe they distributed for that year the slichot that they're doing maybe someone wrote it out whatever I don't know how they did it but once once it wasn't written in the book says Goldschmidt forget it once it's the people will, will, will say what's written in the book whether it makes sense doesn't make sense is secondary that's the human, human nature especially when it comes to something very traditional it's in the book I say it and no thought was given to the fact that now why it was chopped out where it was chopped out before Sheva And they kept Shemach That may maybe a different reason because the editors of of the books were not necessarily the greatest scholars. That's possible. But what it doesn't explain is why the Jewish people have continued to do this. It makes zero sense and it doesn't make any structural sense and it sort of takes the heart of the davening out. But that's an interesting study of human nature. In any event, those are the three core pieces to the service of Yom Kippur. It means that the day of Yom Kippur is a day of is a day of atonement. Now, before I get to yes, is it possible that people just trust God's memory that He remembers it. For Let's put it this way: <laughs> there are many things to say to that, but we, the, question is, we, the question is: why do we trust God only in terms of the Srikot? In other words. <laughs> Why don't we trust God with 98% of the, uh, you know... I mean, one of the issues with Yom Kippur, which I dearly love, there are a lot of words. You know, there there are a lot of words. Prayer in general, you know, there there are many, many words. And the question is, do they help us pray better or do they get in the way? That's an excellent question, actually, in terms of thinking about prayer. But in any event... So Yom Kippur—that's Yom Kippur is about. Yom Kippur is a day of a day of forgiveness, a day of repentance. Now, I mentioned that in Musaf, in the Musaf service, the slichot are introduced by the by the by the destruction of the temple. So we start with the Avodah, We reenact it. Where do we say slichot? Let's say let's say the prayer service that every classical prayer service, probably non-classical, say slichot in the prayer we call Ne'ilah. I say they say slichot in the Eilu, because isn't pretty much else outside of slichot in the Eilu, the whole the whole is basically slichot. Hashem Hashem One of the traditional customs is to say Hashem Hashem Kerachum V'Chanu thirteen times. That's a very, very well founded tradition, to say the thirteen attributes thirteen times. When do we say slichot in the Eilu? Where in the in the Maqser, do we say slichot are only recited by the way in the public in the public arena they're not recited individually mm-hmm. the confessions are recited privately and publicly but the slichot are only in the repetition of the Shemona Esret where do you say slichot what introduces slichot in the Iwah? who knows so a like this. There isn't, uh, Sorry, in the Musaf. where in the Iwah? It, couldn't, it wouldn't be a Sarih anyway, probably, because Sarih is a later composition. The prayer that introduces Slichot is an earlier prayer. It's one of the core prayers of Yom Kippur. In fact, it is probably the core prayer of every festival. Which is what? Yahweh V'Yavo. Yahweh v'yavo. V'Yavo. introduces Slichot. Let's take a look, for example. Niwa. For those who say... For those who say Slichot in Shakrit and Mincha it's also said after the Yavu. Always by Yarevi Now, in this particular Makser this is on 258 in this Adal, in the Adel Makser. After Yarevi viavo and what is Yarevi viavo introduced to Slichot by the way? And, and what, what, can we, what can we learn from the fact that Yalav Yavu introduces Suhichot? Now let me say something that's very sad. I mean, it's, it's very sad. What's very sad is that I felt I had to give the shiur in the first place. Because I'm sure probably everybody in this room goes to services on Yom Kippur. For years. And you spend most of the time in the synagogue. How is it possible? Not to know this. I could, could do anything, I mean... Why, well, I think someone got up in the synagogue and said, spending an awful lot of time here today, let me inform you about the structure of what we're doing. Yeah. It's a, it's a, it, to me, it's mind-boggling that this even has to be told. But it is what it is. In any event, Yahweh Vyavo introduces the Slichot In the Igwa, the Slichot are introduced by a little poem, which has a very beautiful nusuch, P'tachuan Ushar P'tachuan Ushar be't ni'gwa Hashar Yom Yifneh Shemesh Recha, Kelno, and then Kisei Rachamim, the God who sits on the throne of mercies, which always introduces the Yomidot. It's always introduced with the paragraph Yosheva, Kisei Rachamim. That paragraph recalls Moses, the humble one, who stood before God and God teaches Moses the attributes of mercy. The hero of Yom Kippur is is, is Moshe Rabbeinu He's the hero of Yom Kippur So he is taught the Yud-Gimu It's introduced by Yara V'Yavo. Now why Yahweh? There are several reasons why. First of all, just in terms of the language of Yara V'Yavo. How does Yahweh V'Yavo end? No. Right? V'Rachamim yeah. Have mercy on us. Save us, we look towards you kiel melech chanun you are a king with chanun v'rachum chanun v'rachum is the beginning of the Yergev not Hashem Hashem kiel rachum so it naturally flows right into the Srikot. kiel melech chanun v'rachum but there's a deeper point about Yahweh v'yavu actually and there are two other points about Yahweh v'yavu which make it the perfect candidate for the introduction to the request for forgiveness on Yom Kippur And that is that the key word of Viala Viavo is the word Zikarom. Remembering. Memory, when God remembers in the Torah, it's not just an intellectual thing for God to remember. God is remembering and God takes actions to to help people. That's typically what the word memory is. God is remembering. By his brito, God remembers the sees us in Egypt. Mm-hmm. Right, so we have, and we'll get it, we'll get the we'll has a very particular meaning in, in the Jewish liturgy, which is forgiveness, or I would say atonement through sacrifice. Rosh Chodesh, for example, is called the day of zikaron. So there's a sense of zikaron, there is a sense in zikaron of God's compassion, and also of, of God's forgiveness. It's very interesting that the Ashkenazic, the Ashkenazic rite as it does a very peculiar thing that we, many of us are familiar with, but we haven't thought of it, and that is, this year, for example, Yom Kippur falls on Shabbos. Many of the, all the festivals can fall on Shabbos. When they fall on Shabbat, so in our prayers we had we we mention Shabbat. Usually, mention it first. It's the holiest day. We mention Shabbat first. It's in all the prayer service, right? <speaking in Hebrew> Yom HaShabbat azeh Yom HaKippurim Shabbat always takes precedence Yom HaShabbat V'yom HaSikaron Yom HaShabbat Hashem We say V'Kadesh HaShabbat Yisrael V'Azmanim Always mention Shabbat Except in one place With The Ashkenazim Don't mention Shabbat In Yahweh v'Yavo. It's very strange Yahweh v'Yavo, We should have said V'Yom HaShabbat azeh Yom HaKippurim azeh But the Ashkenazim it comes from Rabbeinu Tam. Medieval Josephist Rabbeinu Tam either he created it or he reflected this position. And when it comes to Yalav Vyavo, we never mention Shabbat. Why is that? Why not mention Shabbat? I believe the answer is and I believe that Rabbi Soloveitch said the same thing. I'm not 100% sure of this. But I, in the back of my head I think so. That One thing about the Shabbat service that you don't find is God's forgiveness you don't find sin in the Sabbath liturgy there's no mention of sin and there's no mention of, of, of forgiveness that's not true on the festivals for example in the Muslim of the festivals we always say because of our sins we were exiled the temple was destroyed we talk about God's merciful God have mercy on us on Shabbat the Rachem is very is very muted and there's no mention of sin at all. Tikanto Shabbat carbon no sin. It doesn't mention sins. Shabbat is not a day of forgiveness of sins and therefore since Yahweh Yavo is all about V'Rachum It's not that Shabbat is antithetical to Yavo from the Ashkenazic perspective and therefore the Ashkenazim do not say mention Shabbat. In yes. Then maybe because Shabbat is considered bein olam haba, and I uh, guess in olam haba maybe sins don't. Because this doesn't come into play. I know that's the reason that it's because it's bein olam haba. Shabbat, well, right. Shabbat we don't, we don't, we don't make requests on Shabbos. Is also true, but Yom also we don't make requests, but we do mention Rachum, al- we do mention Kapara. It's an interesting study as to why that is the case, but it surely is so. That's for sure. It is the case. Yahweh Yavo is the quintessential prayer of the festivals. All the festivals have a theme of, of sin and of and forgiveness. All of them. It goes back to something very interesting about Shabbat. And that is the Torah, on all of the holy days, we have a musaf. That is the Torah in chapter 28 of Bamidbar... With the additional sacrifices brought on the festivals, including Shabbat. There is a difference, though, between the Sabbath extra, the Musaf on Shabbat, and every other Musaf. There's one thing missing from the Musaf of Shabbat, which is what? There is no sin offering on Shabbat. Every other festival has the goat, Sayyirizimul Khatat. On Shabbat, there's no sin offering. That's reflective of the fast. That's where it's coming from, no doubt. The festivals have a theme of sin and, 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 and of atonement. Every festival. Not just Yom Kippur. All of them have a, sin, have a theme of sin and atonement. The Shabbat does not. The Shabbat has no sin offering. It's only the burnt offering on the Sabbath. No sin offering. So here's, what, here's what's very interesting. What's interesting is So what what, what introduces the penitential services of Yom Kippur, that everybody is saying them on Kondidre night, and everybody says them in the Ewa, and some congregations say them on the other three prayers as well, which was the classic tradition. So it's always introduced, it's only recited in the public, in the repetition of the Shemona Esrei, in three places introduced by Yahweh, V'Yavo, in the Moshev introduced by the destruction of the Temple, I explained and what do we do Kol Nidre night? Kol Nidre night actually is the night that most Jews attend the synagogue. More than any other time. More than the Ewa. More than any other day. People show up. People never go to synagogue. But Yom Kippur Eve something about that night. It's a very special. Kol Nidre night. How do we introduce Suichot Kol Nidre night? First of all the Ashkenazim, I don't know what the Svarim do, but the Ashkenazim have a very interesting practice, old, old practice. Right? They recite before Srichot. Srichot are recited after the evening service, after Mariv. Of course, in the evening service, there's no repetition of the Shmon asray We don't we, we don't repeat the Shmon Asre at night. We only repeat the Shmon Asre in the other services. But we do say Srichot. But before we start with Slichot, with the introductory paragraph of Slichot, etc., we say a little poem. The poem is found in the, in the Adver the we have a different Maxorim, unfortunately, but in the Adver Machser, it's found on page 31. So it's Yavat Tachnu You familiar with this? I grew up with a very beautiful Nusach, <laughs> Grew up with very good Darwinists, by the way. It's hard to find them anymore. Today. I mean, the people you can't find in place They don't exist. they survivors. They studied their Chazonis in, in Auschwitz. That's where they learned how to David And they could David They really could Darwin. You know, these people were gone. But they also had a beautiful Nusach. It's a very beautiful, powerful Nusach. Look, look what the Jewish people have done here. They have created a Yahweh V'Yavah. This is a very interesting prayer. It's been around for hundreds and hundreds of years, which means we have to pay attention. Yahweh Taflneinu Me'erev. We say, May our prayers ascend from the night, from the evening. Viyavo shavatenu Me'voker. May our salvation come in the morning. Right? Or may our cries go to you Bipoke, from the early morning, dawn, the morning. V'era rinuneinu, aterev. Let our song be clear until the evening. So if you look at the language of it, it starts with Yahweh. The second line is Vieavo. And the third is Vieiraya. And if you think, what is the prayer of Yahweh, Vieavo? How does Yahweh, Vieavo start? Yahweh, Vieavo, Vieagia, V'era you didn't realize I'll tell you something else you didn't realize either which is better which is unbelievable actually first of all you see one thing straight out there are customs of saying slichot from Rosh Chodesh Elul before Rosh Hashanah they're all beautiful customs but Yom Kippur is different because Yom Kippur the recitation of the slichot is actually what the day is about it's part of the fabric of the day it's not just a custom to say slichot on Yom Kippur it is reflective of the fact because what is Yom Kippur it's a day of penitential prayers. So that we are introducing, it's not a coincidence, it's not just a little poem. It's saying something about the nature of these serichot. Maybe we said serichot for 40 days. But the, f- the fact is that tonight is different. Because tonight is not just, we happen to be saying serichot. Tonight the serichot of, of what this day is. That's the prayer of Yavah V'Yavah, which of course is the classical prayer for every holiday. It's the holiday prayer but there's something else about this that's very interesting the, the structure of it because the structure is like this that's how it starts right? there are two interesting phrases that the anonymous author of this poem uses the first one is the Torah's description of Yom Kippur which is Meerev Aderev. So that, that was the title for this talk this morning Me'erev Ad <laughs> now the phrase of Me'erev Ad is a very important phrase in the Torah let's take a look at that phrase Me'erev Ad I believe it's in Vayikra so one place Yom Kippur is mentioned is in chapter 16 of Vayikra the second place it's mentioned is chapter 23 of Vayikra in, this, in the Tanakh page 262 Everybody have a Tanakh? Or share one if you don't have? It. Chapter 23 of Vayikro list the holidays. Starts so with Shabbat, and Pesach, Shavuot, Rosh Hashanah, just them in order. And then you have Yom Kippur on page 262. Chodesh <laughs> Yom mark what truly on the 10th day, which was Achbi. moreover, truly, on the 10th day of the 7th month, there is the day of atonement. It's a holy day. You shall afflict your souls, in yitem enav Techem, bring a sacrifice to God, do no work on this self-same day, for it is the day of atonement, to atone for you before God. Any soul that does not afflict itself, will be cut off from its people. Any soul that does work on this day, I will cause this person to perish. Do no work. Statute for all generations in all places. Now the last verse. Shabbat Shabbaton Sabbath of complete rest. The Sabbath of Sabbaths. It shall be for you. Fini your soul. Now we have the last very strange part of this verse. On the ninth day of the month at evening, from evening to evening, you shall observe this your Sabbath. What does it mean? What does the Torah mean when it says on the ninth day in the evening? Starts it by saying on the tenth day. Yom Kippur is the tenth day of the seventh month. That's what it says over here. That's what it says in Bamidbar That's what it says in chapter 16. I think in chapter 16 it says it as well. It says it right here in verse number 27. Achba, so Acholish, as the And this raki says on those words, I think you may be quoting the word, that Achba also Acholish in this apostle refers to the night of Yonah and That's what the Achim means Okay. Which bears very good now. begins and ends. Well, that may be, but what's not so good is and I think it's very good, what does it mean to say on the ninth day in the evening? The Gemara asked the question. What about the of Second? That's, That's the Gamorra. Gemara I'll get to the Gemara. You and the Gemara in the same way. That's right. So I let me ask you a question. Let me ask you a question. Let me ask you a question. We all know, everybody knows, that the Jewish holidays start at night, the Jewish day starts at night. Everybody knows that, right? Obviously. Let me ask you a question. Forget about what we know about the Jewish holidays and Jewish practice. That's what true. But the Jewish practice is the holidays start at night. Here's my question. In the Torah, when does the, Jewish, when does the day start? Does it start at day or at night? See, there's a big fight between the Ibn Ezra and the Rashbam the Rashbam whose book was censored for this reason made the following observation the Torah says at the beginning of the Torah the first few verses of the Bible Vayere Vayivoker Yom Echad right there was night and there was day one day from this the Ibn Ezra and many others concluded that the day starts at night first there's night then there's day one day came along the Rashbam was the great Pashtan of the medievals of the real grace, he made the following observation and without comments. He simply said, "That's not what the verse means. It doesn't mean that night and then the day. It doesn't mean that first you have the night then the day. It's something very different. Night came and morning came one day. I'm a thousand percent sure the Rashbam is right. By the way, night came and morning came one day it means something very means the opposite. Came the morning. That's a day." day does not start at night. The Torah day starts in the morning. Now the question is, is that true? Let's leave out what we do. Let's leave out what the Jewish people have done for thousands of years. We're just thinking about the Chumash. What does the Chumash say? Is the Jewish day in the Torah beginning of the day, in the morning? Or does it begin at night? And the truth of the matter is, there are many proofs in each direction. If you ask me what I personally believe, the stronger position, I think, in the Torah it starts in the day. I think the day starts at sunrise, I believe, in the Chumash. But if, if and I'll you tell know, you what. That's what I just said. That's exactly what the rush bomb says. No, exactly the opposite. doesn't mean that. It means night came, and morning came, one day. That's what the rush bomb says. Night came. Morning came, then the sun dawned a day. It's By the way... We we whatever we the Jewish day may start at night. It's very interesting actually, but when we think of the day, right? We think of sunrise or dawn. We we don't think of the day as starting at night. We don't talk that way. We don't think that way. We don't operate that way. The day starts, which is completely logical. The day starts even for I even for us, even for us who stay up to two in the morning we we'll go to Broadway and you can't tell the difference between day and night. But home imagine living in a place where there are no electric lights. The night is pitch black. You can't see anything at night. No, no sane person ever travels at night. You can't know where you're going. It's too dark. So, of course, the morning, which starts probably the first rays of the, of the sun, before the sun rises, the, door, the day is, the, obviously, you work in the daytime. At nighttime, you do nothing. The Chiddush of Pesach, actually, is that the Seder, it's a, night, it's a night ritual. It's unbelievable. Okay. One second. The night. But the point is, the Vayerev I I think, is the proof of the opposite. What the Rosh Baram says, which I'm convinced is completely correct. Of course. The, night came, the verse of Yom Kippur can function two ways. It can say this is the paradigm that the day starts at night. Tishok, I would say the opposite, actually. What does that mean? What do you mean the ninth day at night? You ask the question. We mean the ninth day at night? How is it the ninth day? It's the tenth day if it starts at night. It's always the ninth day if it's the tenth day starts in the morning, obviously. Therefore, the so-called proof from Yom Kippur is exactly a proof in the other direction. Such, such a proof in the other direction, to me it's just obvious. Now, there are Actually, there are other, other, other proofs from the biblical text that in the Torah at least the better position is that the day starts in the morning the day does not start at night now having said that there are a host of suggestions in the text that the day starts at night it's not, it's not so simple but this particular verse on the ninth day at night would suggest to us that the day starts actually in the morning if that be the case if the day starts in the morning and the verse is very interesting. If the day starts at night, the verse is less interesting. What's interesting is why the Torah says the ninth day, which is the Gemara's question. He, the Gemara says, do you fast on the ninth day? You're fasting on the tenth day, because the night is already the tenth day. Why did the Torah mention the ninth day? That's your point. So the Gemara says, whoever eats and drinks on the ninth day as if he or she has fasted on the tenth day. That's a drush. In other words, what's interesting is the Gemara is driven to its conclusion by virtue of the fact, the presumption of the Gemara, whether they assume it's the plain reading of Scripture or not, I'm, I'm getting into. But at the end of the day, given the fact that we are observing the holiday at all days, beginning at night, so what does it mean the ninth day? So it means something else. It means that you are already starting Yom Kippur on the ninth day. And that is actually true from a, from a, from a halakhic standpoint. We have a concept in, in Jewish law called Tosefet Yom. Mosifin mechol al-Kodesh. we starting Shabbos early. Think about it, right? Oh, I'm going to start Shabbos early this week. Someone wants to look at me. What, what, what did you say? I'm starting the Sabbath early. The day starts at, your day starts at night, right? That's correct. When you're starting it early, it's Friday afternoon. What does what, what, it mean? Starting Shabbos early. point is, we have this idea which is a Very important idea for us. You can add onto the holiness. You can. It's very important theological idea as well. I would say you can actually create kedusha by appending something to the something which is holy. That's called Tosefid Shabbat. According to many rishonim, many many rishonim, the idea of adding on to the Shabbat is a is a principle which is rabbinic in nature, has no Torah standing. See, in the, within the halakhic system, there are laws we be called Dol raita and there was laws called the Rabbanan. According to many of the commentaries on the Talmud, Tosefet, Yom Tov, Tosefet Shabbat, adding before and after Shabbat and Yom Tov is rabbinic in nature. But there's one example where Tosefet is actually Doraita. And that is on the holy day of, of Yom Kippur. On Yom Kippur, to add on to the day has the status of a, of a Torah law. The Torah says, you start Yom Kippur not on the tenth day. You start Yom Kippur on the ninth day. And there's something else very interesting about Erev Yom Kippur. Very unusual about Erev Yom Kippur. It's a practice we all have. But it's very. Kaparis is an interesting practice. That's true. Kaparis is a, it's a folk practice to either with a chicken or to give tzedakah. But there's something else that has very deep roots which is common practice for the Jewish people. Surah Mav is to is to daven mincha on Yom Kippur earlier and in the mincha to say vidui. It's also an additional practice that the Ramban makes a very beautiful practice which is reserved by some Jews and that before Kol Nidre to say vidui. The Ramban talks about this at length. The Ibn Ezra wrote a very beautiful poem there are many poems written for the, the confession before Kol Nidre to enter into Yom Kippur through Vidui but the Vidui takes place before Yom Kippur either in Minchatayim Min there's a Vidui and then there's the confessions before Kol Nidre with Ha Hashem the I advise everybody to look at it there's also some very good uh, songs, very good songs that were written several of them the Ibn Ezra's Zvidi before Yom very beautiful the Ibn Ezra's Vidri before before Kal-Nidri. so the ninth day takes on a life of its own it's not just you gotta eat because you're fasting but the ninth day takes on a life of I remember many many years ago we had a guest in our house came from a completely uh, other place and it became clear in the course of the and we invited her to well, see the service whatever it became clear to me that in her world the key to Yom Kippur was actually the meal beforehand. The Yom Kippur itself was very secondary. What she remembers is the, the big meal before Yom Kippur. I that's taking it too far, perhaps. But the point is, but the idea that the ninth day is special in one form or another comes from the verse, because <laughs> they're assuming. Our practice is the, day, the, the night is already the tenth day. What if you assume otherwise? Thought experiment, okay? What if you assume otherwise? Which I think is a simple shot of the chumash, that the day in the Torah starts in the morning, it doesn't start at night. How we got to where we are is a different problem. I don't care. But the day it starts in the morning, which I think is the meaning over here and elsewhere too. Pesach also was that way. Pesach is the day starts on the, the day of the fourteenth. You're eating the Passover sacrifice on the night, which in the chumash is the fourteenth, not the fifteenth. That's clear to me. Any event. So what does it mean may Erev at Erev? Then you have a very strange thing actually. Then you are actually fasting. It's strange from both perspectives. Because if the day begins in the morning you'd expect to fast the next night. But the Torah says no, you stop at Erev. And the other side is also odd. You are fasting then before the day actually begins. That's very interesting that you're actually fasting before. in other words what it means I think is that the fasting, the not working takes the form of preparation for the day and here we understand it very well actually why the fasting and the not working is Dafka in the daytime because the point is the point of Yom Kippur as expressed at least in chapter 16 what happens on this day is something very special happens on the day of Yom Kippur what happens on the day of Yom Kippur is there is a kind of atonement ceremony which takes place in the temple which has two purposes the atonement service of the temple has two functions in Vayikra chapter 16 one of course is to atone for the people that's secondary God atones for the people but the primary when you read the Chumash you'll see this not just the Chumash but in the Chumash it's clear the primary ritual idea of the ritual of Yom Kippur is not not directly to atone for the people, but to atone for the temple. The day of Yom Kippur is a day of cleansing the temple. The temple, as it were, is rid of its sins, which we, through inadvertently, inadvertently or whatever, whatever we did, the sins have, in a sense, defiled the temple, and the service of Yom Kippur. Bechaper means to, to clean, to clean and purify all parts of the temple, the inner part of the temple, the Holy of Holies, the separations between the Holy of Holies and the Holy, the outside, the, the, the altar which stands in front of the temple, the courtyards, the entire temple has to be c- cleansed so that God can, can, can continue to be the source of our, of our atonement and our, our forgiveness. So the ritual, essentially, the blood is thrown on the on the temple. And the temple is purged. And then secondarily, the people are also purged. Maybe the temple is, is revitalized. The temple is now restored to its power or keeps its power to atone. The scapegoat sacrifices allows the sins to be cast away. And we can move on to regenerate ourselves and continue with the next year. So that, that service takes place in the daytime that's a day service that's all temple services just one second all the temple services is a day service there's no service at night essentially it's primarily a day service so it makes total sense that while the service is taking place that the people who understand what's happening that their temple is being purged and cleansed and they themselves are being purified would engage both in acts of inui of self-denial as understood rabbinically, fasting or whatever, and also to abstain from anything else, from any kind of work, because abstention from work marks the day as a holy day. It makes total sense that should happen in the day. What the Chumash then seems to be saying is that this ritual takes place erev erev. That is to say that Yom Kippur, built into the very fabric of Yom Kippur in this reading, is the preparation for Yom Kippur. In that sense also, it has a, there's a sister day in which the Torah has emphasized very much the idea of preparing for it. But what day is that? What is the other holiday? Well, every holiday requires some preparation. But there's one with the Torah Passover requires a lot of preparation today. And it does require preparation, actually, because the Paschal sacrifice was taken before it's brought on the 10th day. But I had something else in mind much closer to Yom Kippur. Not How about Shabbos? That's where the Torah speaks about preparation. Of the mon. Right? Do not go out and collect the mon. By the way, the entire lengthy Talmud discussion of the mon takes place where? Do you know where it takes place? In the chapter which deals with the observance of, uh, of uh, Yom Kippur. That's the whole story of the mon. The mon is you are not just not going out on the Sabbath to collect it, but the Torah makes the point. You collect the double portion on Friday. On the sixth day, you collect the double portion. And you are to prepare for the seventh day. To cook, to bake, you are to prepare. In other words, the Sabbath requires preparation. So Yom Kippur also requires preparation, which in the Chumash takes place on the ninth day. The nighttime time is the ninth day. I think it's the plain reading of the Torah. May erev erev. And I believe, yes, we, we, the Jewish people, on the practical level, have, have actually rejected this. Our, our, our days start and especially our holidays start at night, by the way. It's very interesting before I get to the main point I want to make in the next 10 minutes. Interesting is you open up a sitter, not a master a regular normal sitter. It's very interesting what's at the beginning of the sinner? Shachrit. shachrit. You ever think about that? Why does the sinner start with Shachrit. Every sitter in the world, <laughs> I've never seen any sitter. I've seen all kinds of weird sedutim in my life, but I have never seen. I've seen Amarasis beyond belief, but I've never seen a sitter that starts the daily service with, uh, with, with the with night. Why not? They start at the night. I've also never seen a sitter in my life that starts the Shabbat service with the morning. Every single sitter starts Shabbat with Chudorah, with Kabbalah Shabbat. Makes sense, right? the point is very simple. Why, why, let's, why does the regular seder start with shachar? Of course, because the day for us starts in the morning, obviously. But it's more than that. It's actually because, even though we Jewish people have adopted the practice, however we got to this, who knows? The scholars kind of debated. But the Jewish day starts at night. But there's one exception. There is one place where the Jewish day does not start at night, where the Jewish day starts in the morning. You know where that is? In the uh, in the in the Beit Hamikdash. The Temple day starts in the morning. The Shmira. Temple Shmira is true. The Temple service starts in the daytime. Does not start at night. The night in the Temple follows the day. Sacrifices are brought in the daytime. The following night, they're burnt. It's the same day. Night follows day in the temple. The sitter, which, which essentially is connected to the service, to the avoda, to the temple, consciously or unconsciously, we have structured that sitter like a temple service. Shabbat is different because the holiness of the day starts at night. So therefore, you have, we start with Shabbat. And the festivals, they always start at night. The printing always starts with the night. But the daily service also starts with the day. Now, let me get to the main point I want to make and I'll take the comments. I mentioned there's a little introductory prayer to Srihot Kol Nidre Night. Yahweh Tachlunenum Erev. It's Yahweh Viehav. We have created a Yahweh Viehav. But the end of the catchword at the end, Yahweh Tachlunenum Erev, Viehavo Shavoteinum, it's in alphabetical order, backwards alphabetical order. Tafshin, right? Viehavo Shavoteinum Iboke Viehra Rinum Nenu at Erev. That's how it goes that itself the composer of this little poem anonymous composer has two phrases that this composer has chosen one of course is may erev erev from even tide to even tide the expression may erev to the best of my knowledge appears only one place in the bible that's Yom Kippur Yom Kippur achodesh may erev ad erev the ninth day at night from night to night that's Yom Kippur. And there's another expression. Erev. From the morning until the night. Where do we have the expression from the morning until the night? From the morning until the night. What takes place from the morning until the night? And it came to pass that Yichro, Moses' father, who heard all that God had done for Moses' his son-in-law and for the Jews. But God had taken them out of Egypt. He comes to visit Moses. He greets Moses. Moses tells him all that, well, what God has done. Chapter eighteen of Exodus, I think it's verse thirteen. It came to pass on the next day. It came to pass on the next day. Says Rashi in the Chumash. Came to pass on the next day. Moses sat down to judge and all the people stood before Moses from the morning until the night. The Bokirat Erev refers in the case of Moses judging judging the people. That's right. The judgment was in the daytime. What the composer of this poem has in mind is the following. The composer has the following thought which is we are starting Yom Kippur at night. We are standing actually before God from from eventide to eventide. There is a custom for those who wear a ta'wit. It is a very peculiar custom. And that is that those that wear a ta'wit typically when they pray put on the ta'wit before coming What is that about actually? It's very strange. We understand why the chazan puts on a ta'wit we understand why the people holding the Torah put on a Talit because they're part of the court. The Betid, when they judged serious matters, would often put on a ta'wit. But why in the world are the people in the congregation putting a Talit on before Kalmidre? What is that about? You ever wonder about that? I believe it's the following. Because the old custom was in many places, nowadays don't. the old custom was that people did not sleep on, on on Yom Kippur. People stayed in the synagogue 24 hours. In fact, it's reflected in an interesting practice. The recitation in many congregations. These practices are, are, are unfortunately a dying breed. It's very sad. But the practice to recite Shir Yichud Yom Kippur night. You familiar? Who's familiar with that practice? Nista, no, were you? No, Shir Yichud. There was. Special poems written, uh, Ibn Gabiro I- 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 wrote some of them, very beautiful. To say Adim Zemiro. Adim smir, wrote. the Vilna Golan always said Yom Kippur night, Shirakal, what it's called. And they said Shabbat, and Yom Thib, and who knows what. But the point is, the idea of saying all these poems, these praises of God, were reserved for one night in the year. The idea was to stay, essentially, stay in the synagogue, if possible, to stay there the whole time. So therefore, since you're going to be awake, you can't wait for the morning to put on your tawit You put on the tawit before you start. That, that's what it's about. It's at erev. You'll be there the whole time. The point of this particular little poem is this. Yom Kippur has two elements to it. From one perspective, it's a day of atonement, a day of forgiveness, a day of God's compassion. But Yom Kippur has another name as well. Yom Adin. Yom, the day of judgment. Yom Kippur is called the day, that's just Rosh Hashanah. Bezei Yom Hadin. Meke Mishabera. So-and-so's been called to the Torah. Bezei Yom Hadin. On this day of judgment. God is, a, God is a merciful judge. But God is a judge. God sits on the throne of mercies. But it's a throne. It's a judgment. God is judging. Hopefully in a kind way. So what are we saying? We are studying the sleep. We are preempting the judgment. The judgment starts in the morning. That's when your kippah starts in the Bible. It starts in the morning service was in the morning but we don't wait till the morning because the Torah says on the ninth day already Tishbetu Shabbat trem. and so we are saying Shrichot beforehand of course for us it is Yom Kippur so we say Yare Yavo. but the idea of it not to wait for the moment of judgment but the idea to, to behave in such a way which, which actually in a sense mitigates the judgment before it even begins is a great lesson for Yom Kippur, I think. Pretty good lesson for life in general. Not to wait till the problems come, as we all often do, but to try in some way to behave in a way that 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 obviates the problem before it even gets to us. So that's what we're saying. It is true, that the day of judgment is from from morning until night. But Yom Kippur, we are saying, in the aspect of, of, of God's mercies, that's that begins even beforehand. And the Jewish people, consciously or unconsciously, understood this. So we even start the Selichel before Yom Kippur. Even before Rosh Hashanah. Even the Yad Spardin from Rosh Chodesh Elul. We are starting already to behave in such a way that hopefully we won't, we won't, we won't get to that bad place we have to deal with all kinds of problems. But to try to put ourselves in a place we avoid the problems before they ever come. That's what I wanted to say about, just to summarize what the little bit we looked at today, on the Thursday we'll continue with Konedjrei and the different aspects. What I really would like to do, the title is less important, but it would be a good thing from even to even to uh, try to understand. Yom Kippur has five prayers. Each prayer (coughs) makes Yom Kippur very interesting. (coughs) Is that each prayer has its own, its own its own, fabric. Each prayer is different. It's not the same prayer repeated five times. Shachar Yom Kippur is not Midcha. Midcha is not Musaf. Musaf is not None of them. And each one is very special and very different. And to appreciate the nature of each of the prayers, how one gets to appreciate the prayers, the, the, what helps us, I think, is first the, 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 the actual liturgy, but even more so the Slichot actually help us because what the Slichot do is they're picking up always on something about the nature of the Slichot for Shachrit and not the Slichot for Neila and not the Slichot for Kondidre Night. each one is very special, very different so in order I think for us to be able to more deeply connect to Yom Kippur one of the great gifts we have is a whole unbelievably beautiful Maftar and those that have come before us through their poems have taught us a lot about the nature of this very special day. Okay, let's stop here then.